Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. On this Thursday breakdown, we've got a couple special guests. We're going to be talking about the Mobile Hunters Expo from a couple weeks ago, as well as some other stuff. Uh, make sure you stick around to the end, to the Q&A session. We're going to rope these fellas in on the Q&A, so it ought to be, ought to be interesting. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing? <laughs> ah, doing well, doing super well. Uh, so on the podcast, we got uh, Chris Leppert. Josh Luck and Rick Cates. I got everybody's name perfect, thank God. Uh, and uh, I, I'm super excited to have you guys on. So y'all, first off, run the uh, the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. Uh, but also, y'all run the Mobile Hunters Expo, which I'm super excited about because we just got back from Chattanooga, again, just a couple weeks ago uh, from the Southern Show, the Expo. It was an unbelievable event. As Andrew will talk about <laughs> at some point in this episode, uh, he had so many people talking to him. He couldn't go to the bathroom. He had guys pretty much standing in line in the bathroom as he was trying to take a leak, <laughs> wanting to talk to him. It was a pretty fun situation. 
<laughs> so uh, it's just an unbelievable event. And again, we saw a ton of listeners that came to the show. And again, we heard from so many other people on social media after the show that they should have came and they, they didn't make it. And shame on you guys for not coming. Okay? <laughs> also, by the way, for all the listeners out there, you can go watch this whole video on YouTube. Uh, again, we're filming all of our podcast episodes, so you can go check it out right now on YouTube. But uh, I guess kick us off, Chris. I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, first off, appreciate you uh, inviting us to come down for the for the expo and uh, letting us take part, especially in the seminars and the Q&A, because, dude, it was an unbelievable event and just a room full of killers, dude. 36,000 square feet of nothing but killers at this event, dude. It was unbelievable. We we need to ta- uh, change the name to just the top 10% or something because that was incredible. Um, learned so much about guys from the South, too. And then, you know, on top of um, – uh, you know, our, our guest speakers, I mean, we got to meet Scott. What's his last name? Seals. Seals. Scott Seals. 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 Yeah. Scott Seals got to meet freaking Bobby Worthington. I, me and Josh were just sitting there looking at each other like, this is awesome. (laughs) Um, but yeah, always glad to have you boys. You, You did a great job and, and we always like working together. So, um, we're ready to get through this Northern show and then plan, plan the year 2024. It's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, we're, we haven't really talked, we talked about the expo a little bit on some of these other breakdown episodes yeah. or these outros, but we haven't gone in a ton of, uh, a ton of detail on it. Cause we're kind of saving it for you guys coming on the show. Um, the, the, the show was, it was so fascinating because, like, I went to the show last year when y'all had it uh, in, uh, I cannot remember the name of the town in Ohio. Uh, the middle of Winchester. nowhere. Winchester. <laughs> and it was, it was fascinating just to go to that, and you had all these different companies and all these different people in this one this one venue. And then now see the venue, I mean, triple, quadruple in size, if not more so, and seeing all the companies there and seeing all the people walk around. Dude, it was just fascinating because the one thing I enjoyed about the show, and this is something I think all the listeners that went to the show kind of realized as well, Everybody there was truly there to try to learn to become a better whitetail hunter. Some of the guys are some are extremely successful, but they're still there to try to learn. And you have other guys that are maybe just kind of starting out in maybe their hunting career, and they're just trying to pick up every little piece of information. And it was just like a melting pot of like super f- interested and fascinated guys and women, men and women that are at the show that were just trying to learn as much as possible in that short two day window of time, which dude, we got to make it three days next year. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, um, I felt really bad afterwards because we, we really didn't know what we were going to have staff wise. And so we kind of played it safe and looking back, I wish we would have done Friday differently and had like a two to eight, three to eight, three to nine, something like that. And then did Sunday as well. Um, at least until, you know, two or three o'clock. Um, it would have added to us as well. We would have had a lot more people come, I'm sure. But also uh, on the flip side, you know, a lot more people could have made it, you know, uh, looking from their perspective and and just – it would just make things a lot easier on everybody. So uh, this year we w- we've already changed the the times for the Northern show. So we've got a three day show now, and it'll be like that from now on. And and we'll probably even add to that. We're, we've had companies talk about doing 
a dealer day, um, similar to the other shows where they go and, you know, dealers can, you know, archery shops or whoever can come and uh, place orders and stuff. But um, we'll, we'll be looking into that, but we've, we've got a, a few things to still hammer out. And uh, at the end of the day, man, just such a fun time. I, I And I know, I know like it's our baby and we created it, but it just, you just sit there and talk to all these people about deer hunting and how they've seen you on YouTube, heard you on a podcast or saw a post you made. And I mean, you talking about Andrew not even being able to pee for God's sake. I remember my phone was freaking out all day Friday and we got out of there and all I wanted to do was take a shower and my phone wouldn't stop. And I finally got it to stop and I get in the shower and somebody knocked on the door and I lost it. <laughs> I'm like, go away. I'm in the shower. I'm not talking to anyone for 12 minutes, man. Just give me this time. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but yeah, I we're doing we're doing at least a three day show next year. Yeah, and that's super exciting, Josh. I, I want to throw it over to you real quick. I w- I want to talk about how y'all kind of came up with the idea for the speakers for the Southern Show, because uh, I mean it was I mean some of the top of the top guys y'all could have got there that all have different backgrounds, different. Su- I mean all of them are extremely successful, but they're successful in their own light in different areas of the country. Uh, again, a lot of them in the southeast, um, and it was just fascinating how y'all were able to get all these guys and that all have specific skill sets and really from a attendee standpoint, be able to capitalize on their skill sets when it came to the seminars and the Q and A's and everything at the show, which is something that's very different from what you typically would find at other deer shows. Um, like we're going to be going to the world deer expo coming up here in, in about a week or so. And it's going to be nothing like the mobiles hunters expo. It's very much like a, 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 a uh, how would you describe it? Kind of like a, uh, a lot of tire kicking. A lot of people just yeah, walk around. Spend yeah, the a afternoon. lot of tire kickers. A lot yeah. of people just walk around. Just, uh, this, this want to get away from the house for a day versus this. You truly, People that were there, especially for the Q&A and the seminars, learned so much from these guys. So, Josh, how did y'all come up with kind of who y'all wanted? And, and again, maybe name off some of the guys that, of course, were at the show, which some of our listeners already know, but kind of talk about, you know, who y'all actually had for speakers and uh, and just kind of the, the speaker turnout. So for our Southern show, we had, um, just going through the list of speakers, we had Mr. Michael Perry, who is one of the nicest him and his wife are wonderful they're one, some of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet um so we had mr michael perry jonathan moreland daniel lemon jeremy aaron and uh josh trollinger and hunter hogan were, were our speakers for the southern show um so the idea kind of came up with and uh, we we had chris rick and i um, we had discussed how how we want this kind of set up and we, we came with, up with the idea last year um we all listen to different podcasts and and we try and learn as much as we can from from different hunters you know learning different tactics from from different individuals so so last year we had um we had jacob emery jake bush was there greg staggs was there um aaron ritter was aaron another ritter. yeah we had there and it was the, the environment in which we wanted was one that was interactive because um, we like to ask questions ourselves. We like to learn as much as we can, and we like that conversation back and forth. And that's how we set it up last year, um, which turned out really well. 
So for this year, we wanted to do the same thing, just on a bigger scale. And when we were talking about doing the shows in different areas, one of the things we wanted to do is for the, for the speakers was to make it specific for the region. Um, so for the Southern show, we wanted a bunch of guys that were mainly from the South or hunted the South quite a bit, or were from the South and would travel and are successful in other areas um, because that's what Southern hunters can relate to. Um, so that was kind of the, the premise of, of our speaker schedule. And, you know, we can only do so much like Chris, Rick and I, when we're running the shows, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly when we wanted to reach out to you guys and see if you wanted to host, um, the seminars, just because we figured you guys would, I mean, you run a great podcast and you're, you're able to keep the conversation going. And you ask really good questions, thought-provoking questions that just enhance the, the conversation and the learning. Um, and that's something we wanted in the seminars. Um, so that was kind of our, our thought there was to get you guys involved and kind of just help things along because these guys aren't like professional, you know, speak public speakers. Most of these guys have never done that in their lives. And I don't know if anyone listening has ever tried to do public speaking or speak in a large in front of a large crowd it was very nerve-wracking it's very easy to get lost in your thought process and you know try and try and just get the words out so having someone facilitate that was was a big component of how we wanted things to flow because you don't you don't see that at other shows really no you really don't and that's kind of like the special aspect of it and i know rick you, you know you were a huge help on us or with us trying to get the equipment set up because y'all had all the audio equipment <laughs> kind of getting everybody kind of lined up and it was just fascinating once you got the once you got all the speakers kind of loosened up and and really in the conversation like the amazing tidbits that kind of came out of it and rick that's why i was going to kind of pitch over to you is you, what was your thought process because i know you, you were there for a lot of the seminars and kind of listened to everything what were some of your takeaways about just what these guys brought to the table from a skill set and, and like a, a, a whitetail iq that was kind of transferred over to a lot of the attendees and listeners, because I think there was, there was a ton of takeaways, but I mean, after kind of seeing some of the different guys and getting the different perspectives, what were some of your bigger takeaways from like the value that the seminars really brought to the actual show itself? So the value of the seminars to me were very much in the crowd interaction to begin with. Like, I think we've all been to a larger uh, show or something like that. I grew up, um, going to a lot of fishing expos and that kind of stuff. And it's like, you go, you listen to a Bassmaster talk for 30 minutes and there's no crowd participation. It's like, I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm going to get off stage and you're not going to have an opportunity to ask me questions unless you want to come pay some money to get an autograph or something like that. I think the larger aspect of the big takeaways that I took from specifically uh, two different ones, um, Josh Trollinger and Hunter Hogan, uh, and Chris is probably going to cringe when I say this kept archery interesting for me because <laughs> archery, like I, I like get like a glazed over look in my eyes when I, when I start hearing about arrow weights and like axis and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was so refreshing to hear it put into a hunting context versus a target archery context that I think we hear a lot on podcasts or you see in tutorials or videos and they did it in a way 
I mean, it helps that Josh killed, you know, the new Kansas record and he's sitting there telling you how he did it and like, like all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, that, that was awesome. But just hearing um, them, you know, say like, this is how you use a saddle with a platform. This is how you use a saddle uh, with a stand. This is what I think about when I'm shooting a deer at four yards versus, you know, 50 yards. I mean, I made the mistake last year, like Josh Trollinger sitting there talking, like I shot this deer at four yards and I used my 50 yard pin and I'm sitting there thinking back to last year where I shot a deer that was at nine yards and put my 20 on it and I wounded the deer. And like, it's refreshing to hear that kind of stuff. The Q and a though was the biggest, the panel was the biggest takeaway for me. And when you hear four different guys talk about four different ways of scent control, four different ways of hunting a big deer or selecting a deer or going to a brand new piece of property that none of them have ever been to and saying, I can get on here and I, here's what I'm going to look for immediately. And if I'm not seeing it, I'm moving on to the next thing or when to be mobile and when I'm going to sit and I'm going to be there for a while. Like those were the larger takeaways from me. Um, the, the two biggest pieces that stick out on my mind when, when I was sitting there listening, and I, like, I was just kind of in awe, like, you know, hearing all the, just the wonderful information that every one of the speakers brought and kind of given their own spin on how to hunt deer just in general. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you're, I think you're spot on with all that. I mean, it's this, it's interesting. And it, I'll, I'll say this. I agree with you about the archery talk because yeah, if I, if I see a podcast episode and they're talking about like archery says, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to skip it. Like it's not, it's so technical. I did. I'll go out there shooting stuff, but like you said, they made it very fascinating. And one thing that was a big takeaway for me, and people can go here on, on the on the Q and A um, uh, recording that y'all dropped on it, is the idea of how important your third axis setup is on your bow uh, for those off-handed shots and everything, and make sure everything's set up. Um, I've never taken into that much consideration. Of course, Chris, you know, being, you know, competitive archer on this uh, podcast right now, he's like, oh, of course, duh, dude. But, you know, for the average guy, you're not taking that consideration a whole bunch. And to be honest, it seems like, you know, we got some really good archer techs that we work with that are really good. But it seems like the some of the, like, uh, like a newer archer or, uh, or bow tech, um, like some of those guys, I don't know if they take that into consideration uh, all the time. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to kind of see, you know, it seems like a lot of these guys in the competitive archer world, archery world, you know, they kind of come in with a skill set. They kind of know how to do a lot of this stuff ahead of time. And the average bow hunter like myself and Andrew, well, Andrew used to be a bow tech, so he can kind of talk about some of this, but um, you just don't know. Like, you know, you got to go pay somebody or go have somebody that can kind of show you how to do all this stuff. And it was kind of fascinating to talk about, you know, with those guys, you know, how much emphasis they are putting to their setups, you know, having the most dialed in killing system possible. Um, I was gonna say, uh, Chris, what, what was there any takeaways that you kind of heard from, uh, whether it was the Q and A or whether it was uh, any of the other seminars that was just kind of fascinating after you know getting to sit down and listen to some uh, successful Southern hunters. So, before I dive into that, and Andrew, don't kill me. You know how we get advice from people on the internet, and the first thing you do is you go and look and see what deer they have in their profile and all that to kind of figure out like, hey, is this dude full of it? Or, you know, are there credentials that say, hey, I might know what I'm talking about. If if you go, if you get archery advice from somebody, head on over to the ASA, IBO, whatever they shoot, 
and make sure they're putting up good scores. Otherwise, like there's a lot, I, I won't say this about every Bowtech, but the majority of Bowtechs that I've met couldn't shoot the, shoot a bow to save their life in competition. Um, so, and, and I don't, I don't know what it is, if it's just their lack of attention to detail or what, but the, the whole reason we had that conversation there or they did is because I told uh, Josh, I was like, Hey, listen, there's one thing that is very important to me. I think the axis adjustments are the most overlooked thing when setting up a bow for a bow hunter. And you got all these guys who get what we call bubbled where they're not, they're not even level to start with. And then once you get all that set up, you have to make sure everything is level when you make that shot. Otherwise, when you introduce a steep angle up or down, um, you know, you can, you can be off by inches from a fairly short yardage, you know, 25 yards or so. And then you get out there to 35, 40 yards. It, that could be the difference from hitting a deer right behind the shoulder in the crease and the V to hitting it in the ass. Uh, it's crazy. So, um, honestly, I'm trying to think here. Um, my, I didn't really have a really big takeaway because I've thought about everything that everyone was going to talk about and everything all year. So I was more, I was sitting there kind of where you were like business wise, like I was trying to film and do everything, but uh, the, the best, I, I, I don't want to say the best, but for me, I love seeing people learn things that they don't really, you know, we all get so caught up in this deer thing and you see some, you know, we won't mention names, but you see some really good hunters miss and wound deer a lot. So having that education on the archery side of things to me is just as important as learning how to play thermals or, you know, access or you name it. But that was my favorite part, hands down, because you're talking, I mean, you're talking about two guys who are extremely accomplished. And I know they're technically not Southern gentlemen. They're, they're from Missouri, but those dudes, you know, when I looked for somebody to invite, I just couldn't think of anybody with better credentials, both on the deer hunting public land side and the archery side. And I said, man, I got to bite the bullet. I, I wanted everybody to be from the South, but these guys need to be here. And I felt like they absolutely knocked it out of the park. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Because at first, when he, when he told me that they were going to be there, and Hunter Hogan's been on the podcast. Josh Schollinger hasn't been on the podcast yet, but it's coming. His day is coming. <laughs> he knows it. We've talked His about it. It's coming. But it's uh, – you, know, you talk about a, a damn killer, dude. It's it's unbelievable. But when you first had mentioned they're coming, I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're Southerners. And you kind of mentioned what they were going to talk about. And I've never heard them talk, you know, at any kind of high level of, like, the archery equipment. I knew they were both competition archers. But, dude, it was – it was fascinating because you got two killers. It's not like they're just, again, they're not just competition archers. They're competition archers that are absolute killers and killing big bucks in public land as well. So you mesh that together. It was like so much information that was just so valuable that was just kind of given out. I'm like, okay, this is fascinating, dude. Like, again, kind of like Rick said, you know, I wasn't gl glazed over at all, you know, in that conversation. It was, <laughs> I was very much fully uh, engaged. It, it was just fascinating. Again, 
Um, especially when they were talking about the whole idea of you know the the shot angles out of saddles and how to stabilize yourself in the whole nine yards. It was it was great. And also one thing I really appreciated. Was you have two guys up there with completely different frames. They're both super tall dudes, but you got Josh, or you got Hunter Hogan, who's the bean pole, and you got Josh, who looks like a, like a freaking like a defensive end. And you get these two different guys, and they're kind of showing how they stabilize themselves in a saddle in different pers- different positions and different shot angles, which I appreciated because it's one thing if you see like you know Hunter Hogan or uh, again like this a, a lanker guy up there and kind of how they're positioning you know in a in a saddle versus like a bigger dude like a more kind of a husky guy able to do the same shots and kind of show like again just the control he could have in different positions, which to me was extremely relatable with the whole audience can see both of those positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's they're they're a rarity too because um, when I competed, I met a lot of people, and you you friend everybody on Facebook and Insta and all that. You kind of follow everybody, um, and it's it's just like going to the expo. But seven times a year, you see everybody each month, and then you don't see everybody for a few months. So you follow along on the internet um, during deer season, and I gotta be honest. A lot of, lot of people who do really well uh, in the target side, they they don't really perform in the woods. They don't. They're not. That ain't their thing. You can tell they're more focused on targets, which you know to each their own. But for me, it's it's just weird to me because I got into targets to just be a better deer hunter, and um, so when you meet a couple of guys like that, those don't come around super often where they're high-level archers, high-level public land deer hunters, and they can talk to people. They're they're just very talented, especially freaking Hunter, dude. What is he, like 17? I mean, that kid, <laughs> he's, he's young as hell. And, and oh, I, I think I'll just go kill a 1,000 inches on public land this year with six deer. You, you guys need to have a have a deep-dive moon session with Hunter Hogan. We we uh we had a a pretty good conversation. It was him and Michael Perry in the room and Josh Trollinger, room. we were talking about the moon and stuff. This was after the expo. It was it was awesome. Yeah, and Jeremy too. Getting all those guys together in a room to talk the moon phase would be very interesting. Which a bunch of people probably just yeah. rolled their eyes at that. But man, I'm telling you, it's it's interesting. <laughs> hey, that's one thing by the way about having all these guys in in one room together. Uh, because like I'm not really a moon phase guy, not I don't know if there's anything to the moon or not. But what I do know is that when you had that panel there of all these guys who are much more successful than me and pretty much everybody else that I know, they all believe it and they all plan their hunts around it, you know, and it's a big factor for them. So I mean I don't know. That makes me think that maybe there is something to it. I don't know if I'll ever pay attention to it because I don't know. I'm just. I'm not that into the moon, but here comes a hundred hate hate email. But it's it's an interesting <laughs> subject, you know. Like it gets people fired. I, I can up, hear man. them typing right now. <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting I, subject. I think if you're hunting a deer in his bed, um, you know, getting that one twenty five and in one hundred and in, I don't think the moon will ever make a difference. And it's funny because I've had a few conversations with. Uh, Hunter and a few others on Facebook and stuff. And, um, you know, they're, they feel really strongly about that moon. And 
But when we had this conversation, it was everything that I thought it would be, which was really refreshing to me because they're not bed hunting deer because they're in flatter terrain more often than not. So they're, they're doing what I call private land hunting whitetails and waiting for them to daylight. And they're, they're trying to up their odds. And I 100% believe like if you're kind of out on that fringe, I, I really do like that for us from what we've seen that week leading up to the full moon. And then the seven days after it's well, six days after and the full moon, it's pretty crazy how that correlates to the, the encounters you have on your cams. But again, um, I like to take that out of the equation. So didn't mean to rabbit hole on you. Let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, another uh, interesting thing about the, uh, the expo was just the abundance of companies that are there that people were able to, again, try before they buy. Um, again, you don't have a ton of opportunities to do this. Uh, you know, some of these companies will go to different, you know, deer shows across the country. Like, again, we got the World Deer Expo coming up here in about a week. There'll be a couple companies, mobile hunting companies there. There always are. But out of, you know, 1,500 booths, it would be five or six mobile hunting companies. And everything else is anything under the imagination. You know, insurance companies, uh, guided trips, Africa <laughs> trips. Uh, I mean, you know, all kinds of knickknacks. Shoe soles. Yeah, jewelry cleaner stuff. Like, all, just all kinds of things. <laughs> it's a waste of time. Versus, like, at a show like this where you have all these different companies under, like, one roof that people can go to and see – and also see the interaction between some of these companies. Like after talking, I didn't get talk. I didn't, dude. I didn't get. I didn't get to meet a lot of people. Like I was trying to meet uh, uh, Aaron. Uh, uh, what? Sadie's Fatties. Satterfield. Oh, Aaron Satterfield. Oh, Aaron yeah. Satterfield? yeah. I wanted to meet. Yeah. Him, I wanted to meet him so bad, dude. I never got a chance to go over to his booth because we were just like busy with everything. And there was a bunch of other guys I wanted to see at the show. Which thankfully, a lot of those guys are going to be. Go all those companies are going to be going to the Northern Show, which we'll talk about in a moment. Because I'll be going to the Northern Show too, which I'm super excited about. But uh, just the interaction between all these different companies and be able to try all these different products before you buy. Because the problem is in the mobile hunting space, if anybody's listening to podcasts, and a lot of our listeners are probably classify themselves as mobile hunters. They're not necessarily going to a ladder stand. They're not necessarily going to a shooting house or a blind or something like that. They're, they're probably have a you know, tree stand, a climber, lock on, or a saddle they're using you know majority of their time when they're hunting around. Um, and with that, a lot of these companies, you don't ever get a, a chance to – see it for yourself in person before you have to buy it. So a lot of times you're buying something, you bring it home, you don't like it, and then you have to go to resell it because you can't really send it back to them after you, you know, used it. And it's just kind of a, it's kind of a cluster versus like here, you could try all these different companies' products at the show, get a mess around with it, and be like, okay, this is the perfect stand for me. This is the perfect style. These are the perfect climbing sticks, mm -hmm. whatever. And you can make that decision at one place instead of having to order it online and, and, and hope and pray that it's exactly what you were hoping for. Uh, when you get it, so yeah. that's I had I had three or four people, mm -hmm. or probably more than that actually, that came up to me when I was talking to listeners. And they're like, "Hey, which saddle do you think I should try?" I'm like, "All, L literally all of them. Like, go to every single one and try all of them because you're not going to get this chance again, like until next year at the next yeah. Mobile Hunters Expo. But like, right. th there's just not going to be an opportunity where you have like almost all the saddle companies, all the big saddle companies in one place to go try them or all these lightweight lock-ons because they're all direct to consumer exactly like you're saying. And, and outside of if you just end up getting connected with people in your area who might have one or two, it's like, oh, so-and-so, you know, that lives in the next town over, he's got a cruiser. And uh, this guy that lives 45 minutes away, he's got a latitude, you know, and you can do it that way, but it's not, it's like, dude, you got like 18 options here. Like go check them all out. Yeah. 
So, anyways, sorry, I just totally cut you off. No, but that's why I was <laughs> that's why I was trying to get at. Like to me, that's such a huge advantage. So not only are you coming to the show and you get to speak to these different you know seminar ho- or this seminar guests and, and the speakers and learn from them. Also, you get to learn from other extremely successful you know people that are at the show. I mean, we had how many listeners? How many guests did we have at the show that weren't even like part of the show? They just came to attend. I mean, it was like probably, over ten. Yeah, over ten at mm-hmm. least. They're at the show. They were all killers from the Southeast that came to the show just to attend the show. Yeah. They weren't even participating in the Man, show. We, they, we drug old Scott up there. Yeah. He was in the booth with us. Yeah, the whole Scott time. Seals. Yeah. And, <laughs> we uh, put him to work. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, <laughs> so not only do you get to talk to other successful guys that are on the floor just walking around that you potentially could run into, but also, again, just the advantage of being able to see and try all this different equipment at one place. And, like, dude, guys, that, that Ingway stand is about as ridiculous as you, you could come, oh. as in lightweight, sub five pounds, plenty big enough. My freaking you know fat butt get up there, and I was like, dude, this is is it flexing any more than any other machine stand I've ever stood on before? I'm like, this is ridiculous how lightweight this thing is, and like seeing all these different new products that are coming out at this one show. It's like ATA, but for mobile hunters that you that actually the consumer can go to and actually try before you buy. Like it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and you're you're dealing directly with the company themselves. Like you're dealing with the guys who, uh, you know, machine these things or it's their vision. Like that's that's one of the coolest parts about it. Or like, I mean, the, the guys from Elevate, the Stubbs brothers, uh, like they're they're there and then you're talking to them and they just want you to like, like experience everything. They'll say, you know, go try this, go try that. Like it's it's such a cool thing to be able to interact with the guys whose vision this is to make, you know, mobile hunting this far larger community than what it's ever been before. Yeah, absolutely. Also, another thing that's really interesting about the dynamic of the show, every company that's involved with the Mobile Hunter Expo is they're so confident in the quality and the gear that they're providing they don't mind you go and try something else because they all feel like you're going to come back and enjoy my product, which I really like. Nobody's there thinking like, oh, you only got to try my product, don't try anything else. Everybody's like, no, go try everything else and then come back to me and let me know your thoughts. And it's like they're all confident in what they're producing and they're all making you know high-quality equipment. And that's a cool another dynamic because you're able to talk to some of the owners, talk to people that work for these different companies, get some real-world real understanding of the applications of products. And again, someone that actually you know, develop the product, use the product, and can really explain the application of how you use this saddle, tree stand, climbing sticks, whatever, um, at one show. And again, you're not having to take somebody on the internet's advice that you have no idea whether they're credible or not, which is huge. Yeah, that's huge. And, and also, yeah. just to kind of get on a little soapbox about it, too, like you go talk to those guys, and uh, like you said, you get to talk to the owner, you know, and these guys are all... To me, it's just like everybody there is like the American dream, man. Everybody there took a chance and started a business and put their put their money where their mouth was, and and risked stuff and they're they're traveling however many hours to get to this expo and they're talking to their consumers and they're like doing it, man. They're they're starting their own business and they're trying to build it, and you get to go and talk to those people face to face and you get to give them feedback, just like what Jacob was talking about. A lot of those guys are like, well, what didn't you like about it? Yeah, and they're looking for that. They're looking to, you know, build that product, and there's, like, a very personal connection to that brand. So, like, I, to me, that part's also super valuable because you're not dealing with, like, a giant corporation or, or, or a conglomerate, you know, where this, this uh, you know, parent brand owns, like, these nine 
companies or whatever, and they're and they're all kind of on the same team, and they're it's like this corporate glob, and you can't talk to anybody. Like Jacob knows what I'm talking about. We deal with that stuff all the time. Well, speak about that. I just found out because a listener hit me up. I won't mention the brand, but one of those huge conglomerate companies is using one of our videos for marketing material yeah, they are. on Amazon for their product, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very, very, very interesting. What? Yeah. Wow. And, and, also and that marketing director, Jacob does, angered that does man. not like me. Like, I, I know the man. guy. Yeah. He does not like me, which is funny enough. They'd use the video, but you know, it is what it is. Mm. So, uh, won't mention any names, yeah. but if you go, love the hunting you know, industry. It's funny. Oh yeah, man. It's funny. You guys bring up, um, companies sending you to other companies to try things and having confidence but also i think probably 90 plus percent of those guys are so freaking analytical they want to solve a problem like that's literally the reason why their company exists they were just trying to solve a problem and then they just kept going on down the line and they they always want to know kind of like you said they want feedback and want to make things better and you see stuff i call these expo babies you see ideas born at that show and it is the coolest thing i watched i'm telling you right now the best damn camera arm that has ever existed in life is going to hit the market in a couple weeks and i just like twiddled my thumbs for days <laughs> in the shower after i was like what how do you come up with that so there's just so many little little things uh you know little collaborations between companies and you see people uh you know that film and do podcasts or whatever and they come to that show and they pick up a sponsorship or or whatever and it, it's just so cool and you'll see that with the film festival and, and man, I wanted a film festival so we could all sit down and drink beer and watch deer get shot. Like <laughs> never once was I like, oh yeah, somebody could really benefit because of this. And now I look at it and I'm like, man, this is so cool. It's just a good thing, I guess. It's, Chris? it's kind of, sorry, Jacob, do you, do you want to go? No, I'll let you roll with it. Okay. No, it's it's kind of it's really humbling to see just our our idea like come to fruition, right? Because we have this vision of how we want the environment to work, how we want the shows to work, and really how we want it to develop. And it's it's really just quite humbling just watching year from year kind of watch it become what it what it's becoming. There's really no other I'll just say it, there's no other show that has the same environment that our show does like here yeah. and that's what we wanted like these companies are, are not there to bash other companies they're a lot of them will collaborate with one another a lot of them will refer to each other which is pretty awesome i feel like you don't get to see or hear that quite often um it's back to your comment earlier jacob about you know new products dropping like our shows are the there's the ata where you get all the new products and then there's the mobile hunters expo where I, I don't think there's any other show that has as much new products dropping as as what's dropping on ours i mean there was a ton of new stuff that dropped at our southern show and then there's a bunch more new products that'll be dropped at the northern show yep and it's just it's 
awesome to see. And then there's, like you said earlier, there's companies they're seeking feedback on the spot and they're, they're trying to problem solve. I don't know if you got a chance to talk to the hunt 3d guys, uh, but they're local to us. They brought their 3d printer to the expo and they were, people were giving them just some ideas for their camera arm and they were 3d printing stuff on the spot to make improvements the arm for individuals. And that was really, really cool to see. It, but yeah, I can't, I can't speak more to the environment. There's, there's nothing else like it out there. And that's like I said, it's just, it's just humbling to, to watch it grow. Yeah. And speaking about the it's environment, the ball. yeah. Speak about the environment, speaking about the opportunity here, we've got to talk about the Northern show. So if people miss the Southern show. Okay. Then you're like, dude, I, I screwed up, screwed the pooch, should have gone after kind of seeing everything <laughs> and hearing about it. There's one more show left for this year, which is the Northern Show in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Chris, talk to us a little bit about this show. Um, talk. To, I want you to talk to me a little bit, like the, the size of the venue. I want you to talk to me about some of the guest speakers, especially notable guest speakers that maybe some of our audience may would know. Uh, and then what people should expect at that show when it comes to like the, the overall environment and, and, and things that y'all have learned from the Southern Show that you're kind of changing for the Northern Show. So right out the gate, um we have changed as i said before to three days instead of two so friday we're going to start off at 3 p.m and go to 8 p.m so those that are you know just getting off of work can come by and not just see you know a half hour or an hour they can they can come hang out for hours on end and then we're going to open up at 8 a.m on saturday morning and roll till four and directly after that is the film festival from four to six, which is going to be a banger. Um, and then on Sunday, we're going to open up the expo at 9 a.m. and roll till three. And our guest speakers, um, similar to the Southern show, this is a show that's tailored to Northern hunters. Um, and I, I like to think of it as pretty Michigan strong as far as the companies go of course you really don't have a choice in the matter because probably like 65 percent of the damn companies are from michigan anyway so um with that said guest speakers um a lot of us have heard of dan infault uh he and josh tolker will be there speaking and then we have um a guy that we've probably all watched on youtube to solve one or more problems in hunting and a guy who i believe is really probably the most responsible for the mobile hunting boom is garrett prawl the diy sportsman that guy has done so many cool things for mobile hunting the self-filmer archery you name it um he's so intelligent and analytical and uh, I'm super excited. He's going to be, he's going to be giving a master class on e-scouting. So that's going to be really slick. Um, we've got Sam Abel from Chase Nation. Uh, I think he filmed for Whitetail Adrenaline, I believe. Um, he is going to talk about access, and he's a big water access guy. So I'm pretty excited to hear him speak. And then we've got the Michigan native from the UP, 
Dieter Cocken. He's going to be talking about scent and, you know, how it applies. You know, he's a canine handler. So this dude, um, you know, I've, I've got my hopes up pretty high for these guys. So uh, I'm hoping we're, we're actually going to try to uh, hire a couple more staff members just so me and Josh can watch. <laughs> I'm sick of work and I came here to have fun. Um, so I, I think that uh, it's going to be a really good time. There's going to be a lot of knowledge drop. We're going to do a Q&A on Friday evening as well. Um, we're still structuring that a little bit, but um, man, the environment is just going to be sick going to be a lot of it's going to be northern heavy of course so we're really looking forward to it we've got a gigantic mega venue um we had so to give you guys you know kind of a a 10,000 foot view or whatever a view along the timeline last year we had like eight or nine thousand square feet and we had i don't know like 37 companies we got I think we had 45 or 46 in uh, Chattanooga and we'll probably be over 50 in Kalamazoo. In Chattanooga, we had 36,000 square feet. We have 44,000 square feet in Kalamazoo. So we've got a lot of room and we've got uh, a great venue with phenomenal parking. There's camping. It's a part of a state park. So there's literally camping super close to the building. Um, uh, from what I talked to the lady, I, I didn't realize this. Uh, our show manager told us they have e-bike trails. So kind of wish I would have known that. Uh, yep. we, we might have to talk to Dieter and have him bring some more bikes um, or Michigan food plot, uh, send them out there on the bike trail. Um, if you wreck the bike, though, you're fired right before you, you hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Your ticket is is invalid right before you hit the ground. No, it's going to be a great time. Um, we're going to have a lot. We're going to have, uh, you know, of course, our our buddy Jacob here involved as much as we can up, up north. And then we're going to have some guys involved uh, from some of the northern podcasts. Um, we've got a lot of podcasts and YouTube channels coming to do media like they did in the South. If anybody is listening and you're coming to the show and you'd like a media pass, please email us at fueledbytheoutdoors at gmail.com and we will get you a media pass. Um, we just want everybody involved to be able to grow. And when you come to this show, you're going to see it. It's a, you know, I, I don't know if it was Rick or, or Josh who said it first. I think it was Rick, but I don't want to give credit and get yelled at later. Um, but rising tides raise all ships. When you come and see this environment, you know, we're not, we're obviously trying to get you to come there anyways, right? But at the end of the day, when people come here, they immediately understand exactly what they've heard, which is the environment is truly unlike anything else that you can find at any show, workshop, you name it. It is very unbiased. We support all the companies. All the companies support each other and nobody's coming there to bash anybody. There's not drama. It's just an amazing environment where we're all there 
to grow and learn as white-tailed deer hunters. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Yeah, and one thing I'll add to that, we, we've done a lot of podcasts about hunting with a buddy, uh, wolf packing, like when we've had Wes Moe on a bunch of times, we talked about that. And, uh, we get a lot of uh, listener questions where they're like, how do I go about finding a hunting buddy? How do I go about finding someone who is basically into the same kind of hunting that we're into? Cause I, like I make the analogy, like you go to the, the expo and it's not like your, your uncle or whatever at Thanksgiving who, you know, he goes out to the hunting club, he, he hunts a little bit and you can talk about hunting with him, but he, d- he's not, if you're listening to this podcast, he's probably not hunting like you. You know, like he's probably not <laughs> that into it. You know, everyone thinks you're a little bit off your rocker. Well, that's how everybody at the Mobile Hunters Expo is. We're all a little bit off our rockers, you know. Uh, but if you want to go, if you want to know how to find someone who is is going to be a good hunting partner for you, th- there is no better place to do it, in my opinion. Uh, because it's just, like you said, it's a room full of people who are all just like very interested in what we're doing. And, uh, I had several people ask me, but leading up to the expo, that question. I'm like, go to this expo, dude, 
that this is where this is where you go network, you go rub shoulders with some people, and you just go talk to other like-minded hunters. There's probably a lot of people there in Facebook groups who you've talked to a whole bunch of times in the past, you know, in comment sections or on Facebook Messenger or on Instagram or whatever, who are like-minded, and now you can go meet them in person, you know, and and uh, it, it's at events like that where a lot of new friendships start as well, you know, and, and you're going to find some folks that you're going to want to go hunting with. And, uh, that's pretty much, I mean, we didn't meet at an expo, but me and Jacob, that's how we met, dude. It was, it was in like a, like a, a Facebook group that was geared towards hunting a certain WMA that we both hunted. And that's how me and Jacob met. And then, you know, a year or two later, we're like, Hey, you want to go to Wyoming? And then we went to Wyoming and hunted deer. And then we started a podcast, <laughs> you know? So like <laughs> put, plug yourself into these communities. If you want, if you want that community and you want to go out there and you want to meet people and you want to get connected, you got to plug yourself into communities like this. So, so if that's something that you desire, go to the show, man. Get you a plane ticket. Fly up to Kalamazoo. You know, go go to the the Southern Show next year, or, or one of the other ones that y'all might do. So, anyways, that's my two cents on the subject. But I think that's something that a lot of people would probably find really helpful is going to something like this to again just get plugged in with that community. Yeah, I feel that in my soul a little bit too. The look you get from people, you carry all your stuff out there and then put it up and then tear it down and pack it out with the deer why <laughs> jacob was talking to his brother about that today weren't you your, your brother was like why would you hike in to go hunt or something like yeah, that?" yeah because we killed two bucks two and a half almost two and a half miles in last year and uh my brother one of my brothers is like dude i would never do that i'm like yeah clearly you don't ever hunt with me so yeah you don't have to worry about it but uh Uh, hey real quick rick uh talk to me about the dates for the northern show we haven't mentioned that quite yet talk about the dates talk about the venue uh what's the name of the venue if people want to go um and also where maybe people can find more information on the northern show potentially get tickets pre-sale tickets uh or find out any other information about the, the venue or anything else they should know so all information that we've got uh, is at the mo the mobilehuntersexpo.com and it's it's got all the information including uh well it doesn't have vendor lists yet or anything along those lines but uh it's at the I want to make sure I'm telling everybody right it's at the Kalamazoo County Expo Center in Kalamazoo Michigan and the dates are July 20 28th 29th and 30th uh that those those are the three days and on the 28th like chris said it's from three to eight the 29th it's from eight to four with the uh latitude uh film festival directly following and then on sunday july 30th it's from 9 a.m to 3 p.m uh and like it's going to be three days of amazing you know interaction with hunting companies hunters you know if i i can't i can't say this enough because as somebody who uh and chris crystal you know can tell you this he's known me the longest out of anybody on here um as somebody who was very much set in my ways of this is how you're gonna go kill a deer um it it is very nice to go and learn new things from companies or see things that you want to try uh, or just to get out of your comfort zone even like this this is the perfect spot to go and and just learn more about i mean a little bit about yourself as a hunter and like 
you know, ask yourself, why am I uncomfortable with sitting in a small stand versus a ladder stand? Is it like, is it because I'm not doing the right things? I can tell you for damn sure for a real long time, it's because I didn't want to walk that far. And now I'm, I think I told Chris the other day, I'm hiking on a stair climber anytime I can or walking around with, you know, weighted pack, trying to get ready to be able to pack deer out and that kind of stuff versus dragging them out. So come to Kalamazoo if, if you want to learn about yourself as a hunter and you want to learn just in general. That's that's the biggest piece that I can I can say about it. And go to the mobilehuntersexpo.com. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this. I'm going to be there as well. So if any listeners want to come and hang out, feel free. Uh, find me at the show. should be super exciting. Uh, again, after going to the Southern Show and, nor- and knowing the Northern Show is going to be even bigger, it's got me that much more excited because uh, the, the Southern Show was a madhouse. I can't imagine what the Northern Show is going to be like. So, you know, we had listeners drive down from Northern Indiana to the Southern Show to come say hi and see some of the guest speakers, which I was kind of blown away with. So if any Southern, if, you know, any of our listeners, you know, within, you know, five, six hours of Kalamazoo, I would highly recommend for driving up. I know we got a lot of listeners in that area. Um, you know, within, you know, five, six hours of that, uh, of Kalamazoo. So it's worth the drive. It's worth making it a weekend trip, bring the family. That's another cool thing about the show is it, it, it really is kind of family friendly, especially if you have some kids that are like, you know, they're, they're 10, 12, you know, 15 years old, um, that are kind of wanting to hunt with you and learn as well. This is a great show to come to and maybe get them ex- as excited as maybe you are of talking to other extremely successful hunters and, and kind of, you know, showing that there's different levels to this. Uh, you know, there's different levels from just, you know, being the guy that, you know, you just go, you know, sit in a ladder stand out behind, you know, at your house, 20 acres and you kill it every year to actually try and get out there and, and cover some ground and even be more successful and be more of a versatile whitetail hunter. Um, this is an unbelievable show to go to and I highly recommend guys doing that. But before we get off this topic, do y'all have anything else y'all want to mention about the Northern show or anything else in detail? Josh, you got anything? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hit on the film festival real quick, if if I may. Um, so like Chris and Rick said, the film festival is going to start at 4 p.m. on Saturday and then go to 6 p.m. It's, it's right after the show. If you have a, a ticket to the show, you automatically get entrance into the film festival, so it doesn't cost anything extra. There's going to be plenty of room for everyone. Anyone that wants to go is is more than welcome to to attend the film festival um but if jacob you you saw last year's film festival right yeah, yeah so if if you recall that was our, our really our, our first take at a film festival this year it is going to be much larger and the quality is going to be way higher than last year um so the the goal of this is the, this is going to be the white tail film film festival period that, that is where this film festival is going to go. Um, the quality is going to be really high. We have um, the Latitude crew. I mean, they have really good editors and, and guys on their team that are kind of doing everything as far as putting it together, uh, making sure it's high quality. Um, I don't know if, if any of the listeners know Aaron Blisey from the Fall Podcast, but he's been producing films for 10 years. Uh, I know he'll have a hand in it as far as putting things together and just making sure the quality is there. Um, but the the people that are entering films, uh, some of these guys, no one has probably ever heard of, but they are some serious, serious filmographers. I mean, the, the quality hunts that they're producing are, are nuts. I think um, 
you guys, I think Seth Johnson, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from Texas, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think Skinny he went down. something and that, I mean, he's, he's got some high quality stuff that he puts out, but it's, it's guys like that that you never heard of, but are really good. And you'll be able to go there and then just enjoy, you know, like Chris said, just watching deer get shot with a bunch of like-minded people. And then there will be door prizes. There's going to be giveaways at the film fest, um, kind of in between films. Um, a lot of two guys will be giving stuff to the crowd and different things like that. So it'll be a really cool environment. Uh, one, one other thing. And, uh, Rick, uh, maybe you can hit on this real quick. Uh, talk to us about the the attendee survey for anyone that attended the Southern show. Is, is any of this is a survey still open? Because uh, I know y'all are going to do some uh, giveaway prizes for the, some of that stuff. Is some of that still open? And if so, um, you know, maybe talk about the importance for people to go and, and fill out that survey uh, from the attendees that actually came to that Southern show. So, uh, I mean, I think Josh can uh, confirm the survey is still open because we're using it for the Northern show as well. So he's shaking his head. Yes. So that's a good thing. So the, uh, <laughs> the survey is still open and the importance of it is it's, it's a, cons- it, it's just a consumer survey of you going to the show and telling us what you liked, what you didn't like, what you want to see. But the cool part about it is, is that when all is said and done with them, we're done with the Northern show and we're done with the Southern show. We're drawing for a grand prize and it's, you know, totals over $1,500 worth of, of gear, uh, gear that you're going to see at the show. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty sweet prize pack and all you have to do is tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, um, and and what you saw that was kind of cool or that you would you know, refer to somebody else or anything along those lines. We're we're trying to learn, like I told you earlier. Uh, we're we're trying to learn everything we can in terms of uh, how to make this a better place, not only for the mobile hunter but for families as well. We want you to bring your families to this kind of stuff to be able to continue a heritage that we've all you know grown to love and want to just see continue to bloom. Perfect. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That'll be a lot more than fifteen hundred dollars. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but oh, yeah. it's going to be more like three or four thousand dollars. Oh well, crap! That's a hell of a lot more than yeah. what I thought. There's going to be a new bow with <laughs> a case, freaking arrows, Zamberlin boots, uh, Maven binoculars. Like there's all kinds of gear tossed in there, bowstrings, you name it. Yeah, you'll have you'll have pretty much a full setup to do whatever you. Yeah. Want. Um, and just just to provide a little bit more details on the consumer survey, so it's it's not posted anywhere on our website or social media. That's on purpose right now because a lot of the questions pertain to how your experience was at the show. So if when when you come to the Northern show and you check in, you know enjoy the show, do your thing. But at the end, stop by the expo booth slash fueled by the outdoors booth. Um, we'll have a map of where everything is. It'll be. Um, currently right now is if you walk in the main entrance, it'll be kind of to the far right and the first aisle, um, towards, towards the front of the expo. Um, but the, the survey will be there, stop by, check out the booth. It'll be a QR code. It'll take just a few minutes to fill out. Um, it'll just ask questions pertaining to your experience at the show. And then you're automatically entered in for that grand prize. Um, but it gives us a lot of good feedback and that the feedback from the Southern show that we got from the consumer surveys were 
were in part what resulted in us changing the times for the Northern show. Like we take the feedback pretty serious. We try and implement it really quick. It was a mix of that and then the feedback we got from our vendors. So um, we really appreciate anyone that fills it out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's perfect. Uh, well, Gr Andrew, uh, what, what I, I want to give a shout out to Seth Johnson, by the way. Uh, his YouTube channel is called The Skinny Pine Hunting Co. <clears throat> so y'all can go look that up. Uh, he does put out some really good stuff. We're hoping to have a little bit of you, know, you. You might hear him on the podcast later this year. Hopefully, if, if, if things work out. Uh, but yeah, it's called the Skinny Pine Hunting Co. I got to meet him at the expo. He's really good dude. Uh, y'all, y'all ready for some Q and A? Yeah. So real quick, a little we're in, Q and A session. Yep. So we've been adding Q and As <laughs> to the uh, end of the outros uh, for the last couple of weeks now. So since you guys are on here, uh, both Chris, uh, Josh, and Rick. Uh, we're going to get y'all's feedback on, on some of these Q&As as well. So. Yeah, is, is, we got a good one. All right. We got a good one. All right. This one is from Mason Brook. He said, Last year, I killed the biggest deer of my life, 132 and 6 eighths inch, uh, four and a half year old. Listener's success story waiting to be posted. Uh, we hunt a 2,000 acre clear cut that the majority was cut about five or six years ago, so it's nice and thick and has a couple of nice terrain features, such as SMZs, swamps, etc. He's in central Georgia, so there's no big terrain features. This year, it got sprayed by the timber company, and everything is dying off pretty quickly. Uh, how should I tackle this scenario with feed? I'd assume that most browse will die off and feeders and food plots will be the go-to this year without any other food source. All right. So this is a very Southern problem. <laughs> so, uh, oh my God. So all you Ohio the folks. Will they spray it? Oh, that's what they do, man. That they're growing, It's a tree farm, bro. Um, all right, Jacob, let's start with you. Well, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so in this uh, situation, for people that never ran into this, uh, what the timber company's doing, they're, they're, they probably didn't plant it back in pines. So they let it grow up, and then instead of coming through and burning it, because a lot of these timber companies don't use fire anymore for the liability aspect, they come through and use herbicide, they kill everything off, and then they go through and replant pines. So that makes it really tough. I'll be honest, I've never hunted one of those areas like that before, where they come through and sprayed super heavily on like the one property mm -hmm. that I could only hunt. So when it comes to food sources, my thought process would go, looking at those SMZs, the places yeah. they didn't spray, and hope you can find, and walk them all, and see if you can find any specific oaks that could be t potentially be dropping, you know, throughout the season. Um, that would be one of the biggest things. Or, you know, if the even if they sprayed it, depending on when they sprayed it, ba based off when, uh, you know, he's sending this information, there still could be some green growth happening in September before any frost happens. Mm -hmm. So there's still potential to find some kind of browse in that. But the thing is, now listen, I'm a rifle hunter, guys. Listen, you know, opposite of Chris, you know, again, I, I bow hunt my way into gun season. So when it comes to that, and they said they sprayed it, there's no way they sprayed everything perfectly. So there's going to be little thick pockets. That gets me, oh. I, I get drooling as a rifle hunter thinking about that. Because I'll be one sticking. I'm about to learn how to one stick this year, guys. So it's going to be a cluster to figure this out. But try to climb as high as I can overlooking some of those little thick spots and really saving that opportunity potentially for gun season. If he likes to gun hunt, and even if they can gun hunt, it might be a bow-only mm -hmm. property, but he didn't say. Yeah. I, I No, I agree with everything you just said. I'd look at the SMZs and the swamps. I'd look at the neighbor's properties and look at the terrain features that you're going to be dealing with. But when it comes to, like, feeding, like he mentions feeding specifically, like mm -hmm. putting out corn, food plots, and whatnot, uh, 
that's just not something that I don't think either of us really have much experience with. But the but the people that that I know down here who do that kind of thing, I would almost use that as as a way to just kind of get pictures of deer and and maybe influence where the deer are going to be. Uh, but but maybe not put out corn piles just to hunt over. Well, it, it gives me a question. So, Chris, I want you to maybe talk about this, and Rick, you can maybe follow up as well. Ohio is a baiting state, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, with Ohio being a baiting state, and it's pretty common in private land, I know, Chris, you have some private land. You have a little bit of experience on some of that private land dealing with, like, bait stations. What's been your, like, success and thoughts on hunting bait stations when all your neighbors are doing the exact same thing? How does that affect the deer movement and, like, pattern ability when everybody else, all your neighbors, if they're deer hunting, they probably have corn or some kind of feed out? You ever play the lottery before? (laughs) It's pretty much that for me. You really, you really have to be close to where a deer is bedded. All of my success that I've had has either correlated directly. So when I've had a, a good buck bedded close, I can kill him off bait. Otherwise, it's really just a game that my dear friend Josh plays where you basically concentrate the does and then you get those deer to come in there at the end of October and in the first week of November and they're scent checking and just coming in. And oftentimes they'll stop in for a snack, but the majority of the time you don't kill them over the bait. Um, you end up getting your shot where they're scent checking or something like that. Um, I have killed one mature buck over bait in Ohio. And that was on a five acre parcel that had about one and a half to two acres of woods. You're just not going to kill a mature buck over bait more often than not um, on a regular man's parcel. Uh, Essentially what I mean by that is if you don't have a large lease, you really you really aren't going to find a lot of these mature bucks just walking around in daylight eating corn, um, you know, for you to just freely harvest them on, you know, your, your blue collar parcels. If you have large leases where you have the vast majority of the control uh, when it comes to pressure and everything, then sure, um, there's some guys we know that will condition deer from the time that they're a fawn and they feel completely safe eating at those corn piles. Uh, I think that's a a great way to kill big deer every year. But when you can't go manipulate the land, when you have other people on all the parcels around you, bumping the deer out of their beds and doing, doing everything you don't want done, um, that affects it tremendously. So I'm, I actually made the switch from hunting private land to hunting public land. I haven't baited in a while. And um, I actually had like 180 inch deer and 150 inch deer on a parcel. And I never even hunted them because I knew where a bunch of nice 130 and 140 inch deer were that I could kill opening day. (laughs) That bird in the hand. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) that that really relates to like what a lot of people down here deal with i feel like and and that's one that's one way i was going with that that statement earlier was uh 
when it comes to like putting out corn or whatever, or even small food plots to to kill big deer, I don't. I really don't know a lot of people that actually are consistently successful doing that down here. I know guys that shoot does and, and small bucks on like you know corn piles or whatever yeah. all the time. But if we're talking about like bigger mature bucks, it just doesn't happen very much. And maybe the better solution for this guy, for Mason, if he's if he's wanting to do something, would be maybe invest in some food plots you know, around in strategic locations around the property to kind of hold does like you were talking about, Chris, uh, and hopefully get some more doe traffic on the area and just hold them on with some food and then catch bucks scent checking those features later in the year when the rut rolls around rather than maybe necessarily trying to kill a buck on that actual feature. Yeah. And I would say that if you intend to feed, I would feed heavy with large loads of cobbed corn so that it's more robust and doesn't mold. And um, I sound like some kind of baiting pro, but I've been watching <laughs> Zach Kaiser. Um, he uses <laughs> corn, so it, it lasts a lot longer. They can't just walk up and eat it. The coons and everything else have a tougher time. You know, they can't just come up and just gorge themselves. So it lasts longer, it's more robust, and uh, you don't have to be going in there. And to be honest, I don't mean to sound like a little carrot tugger here, but the whole reason that I quit baiting literally was because of that damn podcast episode you guys did with Tom Brownlee. Yep. Um, the, the truth about scent. I said, well, there it is. Like I knew they could smell me, but you know, I didn't really respect it. And then after hearing that guy talk, I'm like, I'm literally wasting all my time and money throwing these stupid corn piles out. And I, I was thinking the other day, I used to run cams all over Southern Ohio with bait. I would have, I would probably have two or 3000 pounds of bait out on, you know, a combined, you know, four or five different places um, split up. And, and that was all hauled on my back. So I'm, I'm hauling three, four, 500 pounds of corn in a Marine issued Ilby pack. Um, you know, and it's, it's taken me days just to get corn to places. And then it's there for two weeks. And then I got to go back out and put more corn out. I got to spend all that money. Hell corn is damn near double in price, if not double in price from what it was a few years ago. And then when you look at all the things you got to do with your cameras and everything and, and all the, the damage that I think you do, I just, to me, it's not worth it. If you've got a huge parcel and a gator and you can run out there and never, never touch the ground and dump that bed and leave and run a cell cam, cool, good for you. You're probably going to find consistent success. If you can't do that, like we know a guy who literally feeds at night. He conditions the hell out of these deer like a mad scientist. He'll take his quad out at night and drop the corn and then leave. It's crazy. So that's my two cents. <laughs> nice. Uh, what about uh, Rick? What, what do you have on this? So like Chris, I've only ever seen one buck killed uh, over uh, you know, going to corn. Uh, and that was two years ago on, on a piece of property that I hunt with my dad. And uh, it's it's not the same thing, but I want to say that it was logged 
probably three years ago, all the oaks were cut out of it. So every feed tree was cut um, away from that. Now, what that ultimately did, they didn't go in and spray it. Um, it went in and made an awesome bedding area for for all the big bucks in that area. And like we st we still put corn out on it. We do it for an inventory purpose of trying to see what kind of bucks are there. Um, I have never seen, I take that back. I have had, I had one deer, uh, the biggest buck that I've ever had on hoof in front of me in Ohio. Um, and I shot and missed him, uh, because he had ate at a corn pile and he was walking away from it, but it was like, he stopped, smelled it, took a bite, kept moving. Um, for, for, for the person who's had everything sprayed, I would, I would start looking for brows that they didn't get. Like that, that, that would be my first thought of it. You can dump corn and try to concentrate does for the rut. That's what, um, so Josh and I live in Kentucky. Uh, Chris lives in Ohio. So our, our, a lot of the hunting in Kentucky is done with rifles over corn. It's just, it's just the way that it is. Um, you know, whether it's out of a shooting house, a blind, a mobile stand, what have you. Uh, and you know, every, every once in a while you'll see a, you know, really, really great deer, um, shot going, going to a corn pile. It's very, very few and far between. And it's great if you got private property where you can do that at, you can't do that on public. Um, and realistically they just changed the law, um, up here. I think it was last month or the month before last where you can't even start baiting until I'm sorry, you can't even do any type of feeding that includes mineral or whatever, from um, until july 31st and as soon as season's over with you're not allowed to do it anymore so it, it really eliminates a lot of uh what some people have traditionally used here where you you bait for long periods of time and try to you know condition deer so i mean you can try corn to concentrate does for the rut and hope you know a, a big one is you catch them chasing a doe being dumb but i i would start by walking the area finding patches that are you know still have reasonable brows or you know find a feed tree that they might have missed or find something that's going to be growing during that time of year that you know maybe gets a little bit overlooked absolutely uh josh what are your thoughts so i'm gonna agree with chris and rick i mean i've i grew up in ohio hunting so i grew up hunting over corn that's how my father always hunted when he was younger and that's how that's all i was taught initially and i've never since i was 11 i've never had a mature buck like come consistently in on corn and it wasn't until 2021 that i shot anything mature that was over corn and he was just kind of swinging by checking for does um so if you want to bait and put corn out you can but if you're going to do that i would suggest <clears throat> get your camera set up, um, have a few cameras out and it may help you keep inventory to figure out what's in the area. Once you, if you find a buck, if you do, if you do that, if you keep inventory and, and then there's a buck that you want to target or, or to hunt, then I would say use your cameras to help backtrack that deer to figure out where he's coming from. You know, find his, find his tracks. You know, if, if you're, if you got your camera on, I like to run video mode figure out which way he's coming in, from what direction, figure out the wind, and then try and backtrack to figure out where that deer is coming from. I think I think if you're going to run bait, that'll be the better way to do it. 
Well, I'm going to agree with, with what Jacob said, um, focusing on the SMZs, um, that Scott, right, Scott Seals episode with those real tight S SMZs, finding those feed trees in those. That was a really good episode. I think if you find some of that in in that, what was it, 2,000 acres, you said, mm -hmm. that'd be really good. If they sprayed, right, they're not, they're not going to hit everything. So it may make for some really isolated feeding areas, either really isolated browse or feed trees, and it might make them that much better. You just got to find the feed side. And then another thing to think about, like Jacob said, you can get these pockets of thick areas and it goes back. I'm going to steal Chris's line. I'm not trying to sound like a carrot tugger. I listen to a lot of your guys' podcasts. <laughs> you get those isolated pockets of thick area where it's been sprayed. I mean, you could, you could create an edge within an edge, right? Going back to Greg's tags. So, I mean, it, it could be, that could be something you could look for as well. Yeah, and I'll say this. To me, the more and more I think about that setup, it gets me more and more excited because if it had five to six years of growth on it, even though stuff's dead, you're going to have sweet gums and different saplings that are eight, nine feet tall in that yeah, already. I mean, that stuff's in its prime and, and, and the when thing, they sprayed it. And, and when they sprayed it, that hard structure's still there. If they don't burn it, that quote-unquote thick coverage is, is still there. It just doesn't have leaves on it, just like it would be in the fall, exact same setup in the fall. So I, when it comes to thick cover, I mean, to me, that just that still just gets me so excited because I'd be out there, if depending on if they plant it, I'd be out there with a weed eater trimming some lanes through some of that stuff, make it really easy for deer, oh. deer to walk certain areas. <laughs> that either if you're a bow hunter that comes by 30, 40 yards from your stand or closer, and if you're a gun hunter, have some lanes out Bro, in that crap I'm that those deer want to walk on. Cut a highway through that and, sucker. And, and just, <laughs> dude, just sit the gun up and get ready. Okay. Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, Mason, if you're listening, man, I really would like to see some pictures of the property. Like, I, I'm just very curious what it looks like, and and also just another piece of context. Usually, when when they spray, they're they're spraying like your your hilltops and and your thicket areas. They're not killing the the SMZs out or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with like how the habitat edges and everything form like around that SMZ because they probably didn't kill all the way right up to the SMZ. Cause I, I have hunted places that they've done this before and they didn't spray all the way right up to the very, very edge of that SMZ because they're trying to not kill those, those hardwood trees basically because they don't want those hardwood trees to die. That's why they left them there in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Y'all dropped. I just, I just kept rolling. You with kept it. rolling with it, baby. <laughs> kept rolling like with a it. pro. <laughs> but but yeah so th that is super interesting um just again interesting situation something that we haven't really had to deal with but uh i think you can make a lot out of that situation to to really work for you so mm -hmm. awesome andrew what else you got that's all i got man awesome well cool well guys we appreciate y'all joining uh on the podcast real quick uh I'll, I'll throw this back over to rick rick how can guys find out more about the field by the outdoors podcast listen to some episodes give y'all a follow and also maybe follow y'all's facebook group too yeah so uh you can follow us at fueled by the outdoors uh it's a face the facebook group you can follow us a bit follow the business page there as well um and then we're also on instagram at fueled by the outdoors and it, you know where wherever podcasts can be found we will be there Sweet. Awesome. Well, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, make sure you tune in for Monday's episode of the podcast. And make sure you write in with any Q&As that you got. And we'll read them on the Thursday breakdown week for today. So appreciate everybody listening. And we'll catch you on the next one.
Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.